0: Influence is a powerful but often misunderstood concept. I'm Laura Cox Kaplan. I created She Said, She Said podcast to pick up right where influence greats like Dale Carnegie left off, but with a more direct focus on what influence means for women, how we can deepen our understanding of the concept, and how we can use our influence to get more of what we want. Each week, we tackle a different dimension related to influence, often with input from incredible guests. We talk about everything from career and life pivots to brand building, entrepreneurship, impact investing, and so much more. Friend, whatever your path, I think you'll find lots to love in this content. Most of all, I'm really glad you're here. Hey, friend, welcome to episode 270 we have been talking a lot about change this season how to navigate change how to plan for it or or at least how we can be as prepared as possible even when we obviously don't know what's coming now i realize that that may sound a bit impossible but when it comes to your career it can be extremely helpful to have at least done some important maintenance on things like your personal brand and your skills checklist so that you aren't completely starting from scratch when something happens. Even with the best of plans, that does not make change easy, but it can give you a running start in order to help you bounce back just a little bit faster. Now, if you've missed my series of toolkit episodes this season, go back and check them out. I'll have a few more coming over the next several weeks and months, but I think that you'll find a lot of helpful food for thought. Most of all, I would love to hear if you're actually finding them useful, so be sure to let me know. Last week's conversation with Dr. Esther Sternberg gave us some great perspective on how we can proactively think about our health and wellness and in ways that actually help us stay healthy and that help us bounce back faster from illness. Her seven-part integrated approach puts a premium on creating more resilience by actually taking a thoughtful look at, of all things, your surroundings and how you've structured your workspace to really maximize the seven parts of integrated health. As we face change that comes with age, and this is true whatever stage that you happen to be in, that proactive approach that she recommends really can help put you in a better place for weathering what's ahead. But in thinking about and really navigating change, this week's conversation will provide another dimension or give you sort of another scenario, if you will. What if your business partner, who also happened to be your best friend, passed away suddenly? For this week's guest, it was not only personally devastating, but it also meant that she would have to navigate through change in the leadership of the business that she had co-founded. Elise Ahrens is the CEO and co-founder of luxury fashion and accessory brand, Frances Valentine. Elise co-founded that company along with her best friend, the late Kate Spade, and Kate's husband, Andy Spade. They created Francis Valentine after the group had a very successful run in co-creating and ultimately selling the Kate Spade Company to Neiman Marcus back in 2006. In my conversation today with Elise, you'll hear how she navigated that very difficult transition after losing Kate and how she's gone on to really fulfill the dream that she and Kate had envisioned. And our conversation, Elise, also draws on her 35-year track record in fashion to talk about the Francis Valentine brand, sustainability in the industry, catalogs, retail stores, serving and thinking about her core customer, advice that I think is relevant, whatever your business happens to be. And also some great advice for creating and managing effective partnerships. Elise also talks about hitting the pause button on her career and actually taking an eight-year break to invest more fully in her family and some other interests. I think you're really going to love that dimension. I think you'll love the whole conversation, but especially that dimension. Friend, Elise is incredibly thoughtful and wonderful, and I think you'll love getting to know her and hearing her incredible story. Here is episode 270 with Elise Ahrens. Elise welcome to she said she said thank you thank you for having me well I'm delighted to have you and I am so delighted to meet you I have been a fan of yours and a fan of Francis Valentine's and Kate Spade before that so let's jump in for anyone listening who might not be familiar let's talk about what is Francis Valentine Francis Valentine is a
1: American brand Um, we make Apparel, shoes, handbags, and jewelry, and it's really based on uh, a lot of vintage pieces we've collected over the years. So it, every piece tells a story. We use really bold colors and um, vintage prints to make our apparel, and it's really there's really nothing else out there like Francis Valentine. Um, so it's it's super unique, and I think it helps women create their own individual style.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it is one of my favorites because it is so unique and you can really, um, you know, find these very special pieces that you can then, I feel like, incorporate into your wardrobe and really work them, you know, for a dressier occasion or a more sort of casual occasion, throw them on with jeans for a little, you know, sort of sort of kick, if you will.
1: Yes. Um,
0: so it's a lot of fun. But I would love for you to talk about uh, to kind of how Francis Valentine came to be, because this was not your first iteration, in fact. Um, maybe let's talk about your career journey and how you got here.
1: Okay, great. I'll try and make the very long story short, <laughs> but it's hard.
0: <laughs> um, so
1: I grew up on, on a farm in Kansas. I went to University of Kansas. I met my best friend for life um, at KU named Katie Brosnahan, um, we graduated from college. I ended up moving to New York and she came to stay with me and ended up just staying here. We both ended up working in the fashion business. Mm-hmm. Um, we had been journalism majors in college inspired by Mary Tyler Moore it. and her show, uh, you know, being a journalist <laughs> in a kind of a man's world. And, um, we both ended up in the fashion business, she at Mademoiselle and I in various marketing jobs for different fashion companies. And during college, we'd always wanted to have a business together. We hadn't defined what that was, mm-hmm. um, but it was actually her husband, Andy Spade, who came up with the idea for a handbag company. So we started in 1993. Um, she designed the handbags and you know, I went to the Javits show with her and we would sell them and uh, just all of a sudden, it blew up. We we were broke and working really hard for years and years, but um, it really paid off in the end. And I think it was right place, right time, right product. Yeah. They were super chic, you know, American styled handbags that that were material. The first. Uh, at least the first year and several first seasons, we did not use leather for the first couple years. Mm. Um, and mostly because we couldn't afford it.
0: Yeah. But you, were, you <laughs> no. were kind of ahead of your time, right? There's a lot of, it, this is very trendy not to use leather now. Yes. But Katie had, had been an
1: accessories editor for so long that she knew what the market was missing mm. and really had a, an idea of what she wanted to do. Mm-hmm. And it was brilliant. It was really, really amazing. Um, things took off for us. Um, She was nominated and deservedly won the CFDA Award for the Best New Fashion Designer in the mid-90s. We had uh, another partner, Pamela Bell, who had joined us right at the beginning as well. So there were four of us doing this, and it was really, it was such an exciting time. It was wonderful. Um, Cut to, we had a lot of different companies looking to buy Kate Spade um, in, I guess, the mid-90s, 98, 99. And... Um, we settled on a partner in Neiman Marcus because they were such a prestigious department store. And we thought, what better partner could we possibly have? We do such a great business with them. They know what they're doing. So we partnered with them. They bought um, majority stock of the company. And um, seven years later, after we added product categories and tons of stores and had a huge international business, and this was all so much fun and so much work. And it, best time of life. It was like Camelot. It was really great. Um, We sold it to them completely in 2006. Um, You know, at that point, we were sort of like, yay, we never have to work again. This is going to be the best time in our lives. And we would all got married and had children. So our kids were really little. So it was perfect timing for us. And um, we were so excited at that time. But what I didn't realize was that my identity was so... Um, wrapped up in owning a business and being, you know, part of this phenomenon. And so when I dropped my kids off at school, several months after we'd stopped working, I didn't have a place to go. I didn't have an office to go to. No one was waiting for me. Mm -hmm. And um, I kind of felt an emptiness. So Katie and I both felt that way. We each got involved in our in our children's schools, and I became you know PA president and board chair and raised money for the school and hosted events, et cetera. And that was for about seven years. Wow! Um, during that time, yes, it was um, it was exciting and it was a completely different experience. Uh-huh. You know, I had to listen to uh, other voices and really you know take their opinions into account and be calm and patient. And um, so it was it was a very different experience working at a, a not for profit. Um, but I learned so much and, it, and it, I think it's really helped me at Francis Valentine, too. Uh, but cut to around 2013, 2014, we were out to dinner and Katie and I decided we were going to get back into business. Pamela and Andy had both had their own businesses by that point, um, so but they encouraged us to start this new one. So, of course, we started with handbags and shoes because those were Katie's forte and really her favorite things. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know we had our issues at the beginning we we really thought we knew everything we got we got all the experience what could go wrong and you know what <laughs> the difference was the landscape had really changed mm-hmm. we uh, you know e-commerce wasn't really too much of a thing when we sold kate's big we had an e-commerce business but it was one person working on right, it right right um social media didn't exist yet yeah. and so by the time we launched francis valentine in 2016 influencers had replaced editors and we had known all the editors. We we're like, Oh, we'll know them forever. Yeah. You know, they, they've all, they're all gone uh-huh. and there is a whole new crop and, and influencers were a different, you know, a whole different thing. And our business was really um, dependent on e-commerce instead of wholesale because wholesale had really sort of diminished by that point. So we had a lot to learn and we were just feeling like we were getting going in, in 2017, wow kind of got everything lined out. We could do this together. And then we lost Katie in 2018, which was uh, very difficult personally um, and challenging. Um, but we have a great team here at Francis Valentine, all women, fantastic group of people. Um, and I, you know, I felt like I needed to be strong for Katie's family, for for the business, for the employees here. So we decided to keep going and, um, you know, muscle through. And so we we thought, what can we do? And we created two different apparel pieces. Katie and I had both been huge vintage shoppers all the way from our teens, all the way through. And together we were always shopping vintage. Mm -hmm. She wore two pieces always when we were on our vacations together. One was this beautiful embroidered caftan and another was a hand embroidered uh, floral sweater and she wore those all the time and we thought let's let's remake those as a tribute to her so we did that of course they sold out immediately and then they sold out again and again and again and people started asking us for all of the vintage pieces that we were using to style our ad campaigns and I was like oh we'll never do pants we'll never do this we'll never do <laughs> cut to now <laughs> right you do everything you do everything <laughs> we have a full um apparel collection, yeah. and it is about over 60% of our business. Mm-hmm. Um, we still have a, an incredible uh, footwear and handbag um, business, but apparel has really, you know, taken the lead. And I think Katie would be really happy about that. I think she, even though it wasn't her thing, I think um, she would love what we're doing today. Yeah. Um, and now we have, I, I'm i taking a long, long time to answer your no, first question. No, I love part. it. I love it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> but um, – we uh, have, we just opened our ninth store. So we've got stores sort of across the United States, mostly on the East Coast and the South. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're so excited. We just opened our ninth store. We um, have a growing wholesale business where we opened Saks and Neiman's and um, Nordstrom. So we're doing a lot of business in department stores, but we uh, have a whole new group of specialty stores that we're we're selling to across the United States and then our e-commerce business and all three are growing Um, we're omnichannel so each of those channels kind of relies on each other for information and um, data and uh, really growth Mm -hmm. but it's been really, truly incredible. And um, we're excited about the future,
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. ok. I have lots of questions. and And one is because I think it will really resonate with this audience. You know, we talk about, change and the things that happen in our lives that you can't possibly predict. I mean, that's obviously why it's so difficult to navigate change, but losing someone close to you, losing a partner, whether it's a business partner or a partner who you're married to or in some other capacity, um, you know, it's really incredibly difficult. That goes without saying, I would love for you to share maybe some advice for how maybe advice for others who might face something similar how you get through that how you kind of reorient your your focus to to shift so that you're honoring that partner but you're also you know recognizing this change and this evolution that has to occur well
1: i think everyone's different and everyone handles grief and loss very differently mm-hmm. Um, so I, I reluctant to give advice to anybody, but I'll tell you how I handled it. Um, and sometimes I think I, you know, maybe did it the completely wrong way. I, um, I just kept going. Mm. I, the, the team here, we, we just, work has become everything. And, um, I just threw myself into coming in every day, even through COVID, you know, we were here working and, um. Perhaps that's kept me from really thinking about the loss so much. Mm -hmm. But I also feel like Katie is in everything I do here. So it feels like we're still together. And when I'm here, I'm not missing her phone calls all the time. Because I'll tell you, when something funny happens or I want to play a practical joke on somebody, I just want to call her. Mm. And it's the thing I miss the most. Yeah. Um, But I do feel like she's, her presence is here. Mm. And... Um, so for me, I, I'm such a stay busy person anyway um, that work filling the void of of that personal relationship um, is how I did it. Yeah, and I don't know if that's right for everyone, but yeah.
0: I love that you I love that you said that, and I love that you're willing to share it because I think it you're, you're right. It is so incredibly personal, but it is. It's an unfortunate fact of life. I mean, it you know, and, and it's a horrible, horrible thing to have to deal with. But I'm so grateful that you're that you're willing to share your perspective and your journey for others who might experience something similar, God forbid. Um, I'd also love for you to talk about, you know, you and, and Kate knew each other. All the way back to college, you were sorority sisters. Um, I'm happy to say we're all fellow Chi Omegas. Uh, she was, really, was a Kappa. Oh, she was a Kappa. Okay. You and I are Chi <laughs> We are Chi Omegas, yes. <laughs> but you you knew her for a long time. You knew her in college. You guys stayed friends. Let's talk about Um, navigating a partnership, a business relationship that evolves from a friendship and protecting the friendship while you become business partners. Maybe talk a little bit about advice for that, because I think that can be kind of tricky. It's very tricky. I really
1: think in most cases, it's very tricky. I think we were lucky And part of that is, you know, Andy Spade's one of my best friends too. Mm -hmm. So there were four of us and two of those was a husband and wife team. So that's even, that makes it even more complicated. (laughs) Um, Which I I don't think I would want to do work with my husband because then then you're four You're talking about the business twenty four seven. You know, I think with us, I think we were always together all the time. Like we literally spent all of our social time together too and our family time together. And I think... um, You know, a big part of that is when you come from the same place, and it's not like we were the same people. We were very different people, and we all brought something to the table, but we shared the same values, and we shared the same goals. And if it was a matter of how to reach those goals, we might have had different, you know, opinions about how to get there, but they were never really that divergent. From another. Andy always, you know, would turn something on its head to come to a solution. And I think, what are you thinking? This is crazy. But, and yet he was brilliant. His ideas were just amazing. So it was a matter of just keeping an open mind with um, any new ideas that came about from one of my partners. But honestly, I think the secret for us was we, we were so close. We respected each other a great deal. We trusted each other implicitly. And, you know. I never would have uh, let anything come in the way of our friendship. Mm. I, I think I would have walked away from the business if that's what it took. And yet, we we never came to we never came to blows that way. It, we never really had any issues. Yes, we argued and we'd fight and you know had heated discussions. And you know I, there were some there was some food throwing at one point.
0: <laughs> now there's <laughs> a story I'd like to use. <laughs> it's a
1: good one. I wasn't the one either receiving or throwing, but
0: shocked um
1: but um you know those are healthy and you're gonna argue you're gonna get mad at each other and you might talk, not talk for a couple of days mm-hmm. but those are healthy discussions mm-hmm. and um but I think it's tricky to find the right the right partner yes. it's it's really you just never know how it's going to work out some some end up great with someone you hardly know
0: mm-hmm.
1: and um some of the best relationships you know end and I I think it's just sort of I don't think there's any recipe for it. I think it's a roll of the dice.
0: Yeah. Is your advice for others who might enter into a, a partnership with a friend or, a, you know, with a, with a spouse potentially to have partnership agreements in place? Or maybe what's your best advice on how to structure this so that you're at least planning for the possibility that something may or may not work out? I think it's really important. And I think once... You start
1: working together. After a couple of months, you've you kind of know each other a little bit. You know what your priorities and your goals are. But really, it's got you have to have the same shared goal at the beginning, whether it's making the world more beautiful, a more beautiful place, or whether it's making a lot of money. Mm. What's your what are your priorities mm-hmm. and put them in order and really understand. And you both have to believe that those are the priorities to make it work. Um, But I do think partnership agreements are really important. Um, We all had an understanding when we started what our partnership was going to be, but it took us two years Mm -hmm. to get the partnership agreement done. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, out of just sheer, we don't have the time or money to, you know, get with the lawyers, all four of us together and get it done. But it's critical that that happens because in the end, 10, 20 years later, you're going to rely on that document at one point or another, even if you're, if, whether you're not talking to each other or whether you're, you know, each with each other all the time, that document really matters. Yeah.
0: I love that. I think that's such great advice for anybody who's entering into a a business type relationship to really think about that. And to your point, um, it can be hard to press the pause button um, when you're so busy and you're producing and you're creating and what could possibly go wrong. You just never know. Right. I mean, that's the, that's the whole thing. So let's, pivot a bit and talk about creativity. You are surrounded by color and this you know, really this whole notion of dopamine dressing and you know dressing in ways that make you feel good. I really, really love the whole vibe. And I know that your um, your entire community does as well. But talk about, Elise, where that inspiration comes from for you in developing new products and colors and designs, all this great stuff.
1: Well, I I am of the philosophy that most of us have the opportunity when we wake up in the morning to determine how we're going to feel for the day. And if I get up and decide to put on a pink velvet suit, that is going to make me feel like a million (laughs) bucks all day. I'm going to feel happy and bright and feel good about myself. I'm not saying everybody has to do that, but wearing color really does change your mood. It boosts the feelings you have. And when you're, especially when you get like 10 compliments from people on what you're wearing that day, It just makes you feel so good all day. Who doesn't want that? Um, And, you know, I get the wearing black. It's a very New York thing. And it's also easy, you know, when you're traveling to, you know, throw in three pieces of black just to be able to wear all the time. I totally get it. But everybody needs a splash of color, some print, some color, because it really does, A, it makes you stand out and lets you feel like it's your own personal (laughs) style, the speaking. And I think that's important, and I think it gives women confidence about how they feel about themselves. Um, but I, but m- my first thing is, really, when you wake up in the morning, you get to decide how you're going to feel mm-hmm. for the rest of the day, and, and, and again, most people. Um, so that's, that's kind of where it all starts. And I think people don't realize how much it changes their day and their mood. When they're actually dressing, it's just sort of like one of those. Oh my God, what am I going to wear today? I've got this and this and this, and they just reach for the the most basic, easy thing to put together. They're like, "Well, this skirt and this top and this jacket looks fine together." But you know, fine isn't going to make your day. Great is going to make your day, and color is going to make your day. Just make you feel wonderful.
0: Yeah, I would love for you to talk about as I'm sitting here thinking about this and how you know as we age, as we change and evolve in our lives and careers, we take on different identities and there's a different, you know, costume, if you will, that's associated with these different roles. Maybe if you could talk about advice for as you see your customer sort of go from her 20s to her 30s to her 40s to her 50s and what you see changing and maybe advice for keeping it fresh and not kind of mm-hmm. falling into a rut, which I think can be such an easy thing to do. Yeah. I, You know, I
1: think it's so funny because when we started Kate Spade, we were 30. When we started Frances Valentine, we were 50. and. We never ever used the word "grown up," but but we really were. We were different people in different stages of our lives. And if I remember, you know, in my thirties, I would wear anything. I, you know, your legs still look great. Then a lot of women still have great-looking legs. I do not <laughs> after after twenty more years. Um, but uh, there's just a feeling you get of, gosh, it, I guess it was probably like forty-five. I was sort of like. I shouldn't wear those skirts that short anymore. It was just—it was just a sense about my age that I felt inappropriate in certain mm. things. Just myself. Other people can get away with a lot, a lot. I cannot. Um, but you know, when we started making apparel at Francis Valentine, we really wanted to listen to women our age in their, you know, forties, fifties, and sixties about what they wanted, and they told mm-hmm. us. They—they they would write in and tell us everything. I like. I like to have sleeves on everything these days. My arms aren't what they used to be. And I I also get cold easily. So I want a really lightweight sleeve. I want pockets in every possible thing I can (laughs) have pockets in. So we put put pockets in like 95% of what we make. we, we do a lot of higher necklines because a lot of people like their, like their necks covered. So there are so many little things that we have added to our products. And, and not every single product, but it really matters to our customers. And it's the piece you reach for that's the most comfortable, favorite thing in your closet. And we want that to be Francis Valentine. We want to have all of those qualities that makes you pick that piece out. To wear over and over again, um, and so I feel like that's part of what really differentiates our product. Once somebody buys our our uh, apparel or shoes or bags, um, and they have to like the design I- at the beginning, and the design is you know one thing we think a lot about. We want these pieces to be classic favorite pieces that you're going to have in your closet the rest of your life not something just for the season where it's trendy and it and it goes out we want this piece we want your daughter to want this piece we want your granddaughter to want this piece and i mean i've got pieces yeah. that my grandmother had in her closet and I, I couldn't wait to get them because they were just cool bright old dresses from hawaii and i love them That's amazing. but it, it's just those pieces that can be passed down generation after generation, um, and that that will stay in your closet that you want
0: to have forever. I love that. I I, I love everything about that. Um, I'd love for you to talk a little bit about um, some of the trends that we're seeing in the fashion industry. There's a real focus, I think an important one on sustainability. Um, Maybe talk a little bit about how you guys are thinking about that and any other trends in the industry that you're maybe really excited about. I, I think sustainability is
1: hugely important. And I'm so Happy that the fashion industry has really you know put it front and center and a lot of larger companies have really created you know they've created whole divisions within their companies to focus on it I think it's fantastic mm-hmm. they have to lead the charge because mm-hmm. when sustainable fabrics have come around when these refi- resale platforms have come around a lot of that is only accessible to larger businesses and Today, just when I go to a fabric show, I'm thrilled to be able to find more accessible, sustainable materials or recycled materials. We wouldn't have seen that five years ago for a company like us. I mean, yes, Michael Kors or or Ralph Lauren or one of the larger companies can afford to to buy them um, and they get much better deals on their fabric because they're buying so much in bulk. Um, Smaller companies haven't been able to afford it until more recently. And it's great because now so many of our um, bags, shoes, or apparel are made out of sustainable materials. We don't even talk about it. We don't need to talk about it. We're just we can feel good about ourselves for utilizing those materials. Um, some of the other things that have that have come about in the last few years, we um, give twenty five cents for every single order, either through our stores or through e commerce, um, to a company called Clean Hub, and they. Pull, basically, pull plastics out of the ocean, and I think we've contributed to you know thirty thousand pounds of plastic being removed from the ocean. Also, providing jobs for women
0: mm.
1: in other countries. Um, you know, they they provide jobs for them, and it's really fantastic. It's such a great organization. So we've joined Clean Hub. Um, we moved from you know all of our own packages being plastic to cornstarch bags. Um, You know, there's a lot of little things. They're expensive for a small company to do, but it was really one of those things that we felt was important. So uh, we'll continue to work on more sustainable, you know, uh, products as as we Mm -hmm. are able to. And, you know, I think it's an excellent thing that the whole fashion industry is doing
0: yeah i mean your your whole you know the whole focus of your brand to begin with is about pieces that you you know hope that your customer will keep year after year Mm -hmm. and that she will incorporate into her wardrobe and wear them in all different ways and we talked about at the beginning of the conversation you know using your sequin jacket that you would wear for a holiday party you can also put it on with jeans and dress it down and dress it up and sort of using these pieces in ways that maybe historically, we might not have been inclined to do. And I think that feels like that's such a piece of at least your own sustainability story as it relates to your product. Not that you're not doing new things every year, of course you are, Mm -hmm. but the ability to sort of incorporate those into what you have in your closet, I think is a beautiful thing as well.
1: Exactly. It's like buy less, but buy really good things. You know, things that you'll keep for a long time. This jacket, for instance, I'm wearing a, a houndstooth jacket. It's wool from Abraham Moon in England. I'm going to have this jacket the rest of my life. I love yeah. this jacket. And um, it's just one of those pieces. I'm sure my daughters will steal it, and I won't have it the rest of my life. But it's, <laughs> it's just, um, you know, it's one of those things. We also, you know, one along those lines, we tend to make things in small batches mm-hmm. so that we don't have a lot of inventory left over. And um, some of our, our really good customers don't like that so much because we tend to run out of things quickly. But... Um, you know, it's better to have less than have too much, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. You guys also put, um, I mean, kind of a premium, I think, on catalogs. You know, catalogs are something mm-hmm. that I think um, if they're done really well, they're still kind of magical, like like what you're doing. But maybe talk about the thought process behind why catalogs. It, it To me, it feels like sort of an extension of, a little bit of the the retro and timelessness of your brand. So, I mean, to me, it's, it speaks to me because it's so consistent with your brand, but I'd love to know kind of how you think about it and why it makes sense. You, you know, it's it's so funny because
1: our team really wanted to do it. And I was like, gosh, isn't that really old-fashioned? Aren't, aren't catalogs like a thing of the past? Nobody's doing them anymore. So if this was before COVID. We had actually decided to do a catalog. And I, I caved and gave in. I was like, okay, let's try it. Let's great. Because it, one thing that I knew was that our creative really lends itself to print. And um, f- there were so few fashion magazines mm-hmm. out there. And so just putting our images into, it almost felt like a fashion magazine. And I think a lot of our customers view it that way and love to get them. We have people calling us and say, I haven't gotten my February catalog yet. (laughs) And I was like, it's coming, it's coming. Um, because they get excited about getting them. It's like getting, you know, your favorite fashion magazine, you know, every couple months. Um, but the catalog was really great for us. It was just fortuitous that we had decided before COVID to do our first one. Um, And it landed in home in May of 2020 when everybody was at home. And I think we had such happy, bright, beautiful pieces. And as I recall, we had a lot of caftans and tunics in that catalog. And I think it gave people hope that there was light at the end of the tunnel, that they were going to buy this yellow caftan with a beautiful embroidery all over it for the party that was going to happen six months from now, or three months from now. And there was going to be a place to go and we were going to have fun again. And so I think it really gave a lot of people hope during a very sad period. Yeah. Yeah. And absolutely. Th- that was the beginning. And then we started doing them, you know, seasonally.
0: Yeah. I- I'm curious if you think that's kind of the trend, given that, you know, magazines are, it's a very different industry. I know you sort of grew up in that space. But do you think there's an opportunity potentially to create more editorial content through a catalog than there might have been an appetite for previously?
1: I think so, and I and I think there are so many business businesses today utilizing catalogs. I think it's grown enormously. I mean, I don't know about the stack you get at your home, but I get them, you know, oh yeah, monthly. I get stacks and stacks of catalogs now. And so I think that because of COVID, that business really took off and grew, despite, you know, the paper shortages and the postage increases, et cetera. I think it's been a great vehicle for a lot of different companies.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Maybe any final pieces of advice because of your really interesting entrepreneurial um, pathway, um, the fact that you were able and willing to take a break You know, really at the height of your career, you know, thinking about your life in stages, perhaps maybe advice for anyone listening who might be contemplating a break, how to how to stay in the game potentially if you want to preserve your ability to jump back in at some point. Well, you know, it's funny. I'm a list maker, and I make lists every day, all the time.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I wish I would have made a list when we stopped working because I, you know, I learned how to play tennis. I took cooking classes. It took me a while to get to, to get to these places. I had a couple of months of like, Oh my God, what am I going to do with my, you know, what am I doing with myself? So I, I wish I would have made a list of all, all these things I wanted to accomplish. Cause we were, we were not working, you know, at either Kate Spade or Francis Valentine for about eight years. Now I was working, I was, I was working a lot at our school and doing a lot of things, but there were some personal things I'd wish I had done. And I wish, I, I know this sounds silly, but it's just just a thing of mine. I've always wanted to take a an electrical class and a plumbing class at a trade school.
0: No kidding, I
1: can't, <laughs> I can't stand having to call a man to fix things and and simple things around your house to be able to repair something or you know know what to do in a situation. So. The, I never did those things, and I wish I would have. I also would have liked to have taken a business class at one of the universities in New York City. There's so many. Um, and and me- really maybe taken some, some graduate courses in business. Even though I've been an entrepreneur twice, there are so many things that I don't have a deep understanding mm-hmm. of that I should and I'd like to. Um, so I think the constant learning um you know, is important, and I. But again, they weren't on my list, so I didn't do them. But tennis was on my list, and cooking classes were on my list, and volunteering at school. Um, so I think a list of of some things that you really want to do, and and just interesting personal things. Go to museums every day. Go to you know really fill your fill your life with with some things that you wouldn't normally do.
0: I love that. And one of the things that you said that really resonates with me, because this was an eight-year period, and it can be really hard to kind of get into a break and to... To own a new identity, I mean you didn't know that there was going to be Francis Valentine on the back end of this break that you were taking right, and right. it can be you know we can have a tendency to get in our own heads about okay, who am I what am I what am I supposed to be doing you know you start to start to spiral maybe that's just me I don't think so we have a lot of conversations about this on this podcast, <laughs> but maybe talk about how you dealt with that piece if you did at all, gosh, you know.
1: At first, you know, when we sold Kate Spade, we were joyful. And who, like, I don't think anybody wakes up in, in, in the morning and says, oh, I can't wait to go to work today most of the time. they I, Most people probably don't. Because um, for me, it's not necessarily a passion. It's what you're good at. And after Kate Spade, I really thought I would enjoy not working. Mm. And I, I found during that long period of time, it goes by so fast if you don't have things going on, and and actually things you can check off and say, I accomplished that, I accomplished that, I accomplished it's something I always wanted to do, and I accomplished those things, um, which I think is nice. If you're just doing the same thing every day, time goes by so fast, and you can't, I, I, for me, I can't remember particular years what I did in those years. I'm sort of like, when did the, what happened then? But in um, and, and Francis Valentine, I got really excited to get started working hmm. again. Um, a lot of it was a social interaction in the office with other people. you know, because as a as a mother at home, you know you're you're with your kids a lot, and there there's not a lot of adult interaction, and I miss that. Um, and so, you know, I think there are surprises all along the way and and I, all the things I thought I knew, and you know a lot of experience does pay off and and it does help you get through things. But um, it's just being open to, to the newness of every situation. I, I had, you know, I still, you know, had to have someone help me try and get on this podcast with you. (laughs) There's just a lot. I don't know about my, my computer and technology. Um, so it's, I think it's just being open to things you don't know too.
0: I love that. And I have loved this conversation. Um, I'm so grateful that you were willing to spend a little time with us today and, um, really loved getting to know you. Well, thank you for having me. Hey, friend, if you happen to be in the DC metro area, be sure to check out the newest Francis Valentine store that has just opened in Alexandria, Virginia. It is gorgeous. In the meantime, I hope you found some value and some inspiration in this week's conversation and As always, I would love to hear from you. Join me on Instagram or LinkedIn, or if you really loved the episode and what I'm doing here at She Said, She Said podcast, please consider sharing a review on iTunes or wherever you happen to be listening. Those reviews, my friend, are super helpful and would be greatly appreciated. For now, though, have a great rest of your week, and I'll talk to you again real soon. And remember, She Said, She Said podcast is a weekly production of She Said, She Said Media.